man, it's so loud in here. Well, why did I say that? Where's my friend the kazoo? Is this thing all this? Is Big To another episode of This Is Big Green for June 2019. Yes, here we are again. Well, here I am again. Here with a uh, not a new episode of Metric, but a retread of an earlier episode from May of 2014. It's called Captain Fricassee. Maybe you remember it. I'm gonna play some live numbers from Big Green's heyday back in the early 90s. <laughs> May have heard one or two of them before. Let's hear them again. Hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to This is Big Green. This is Joe of Big Green speaking. Here by myself, no Matt Perry. Matt Perry's busy with the Peregrine Falcon Project. Very important endeavor. Check it out at, let's see. Well, I know where you can absolutely see it. You can see it at big-green.net slash falcon. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. Um, Matt's not with me right now. Uh, That's why we're doing things a little differently this month. This is... uh, Well, you might call this kind of an ad hoc episode of This is Big Green. Instead of uh, starting right off the bat with uh, our Ned Trek episode, well, we don't have a new Ned Trek this month. Um, It's still in process. We've recorded it, and we've done all the voicing, and it's in finishing right now. Um, And it's taking a bit longer than we'd expected. God knows why. I think it's because we're all so damn busy. Um, but we are going to have a new episode sometime next month. And so keep your eyes open for that one. Uh, what we're going to do today is play an older episode. This is Ned Trek um, 18. Ned Trek 18. We're up to 40 now. This is Ned Trek 18. It was originally aired, <laughs> aired I should say, podcast in May 2014. It's called Captain Fricassee. Uh, This is a riff on the classic Star Trek episode, The Enemy Within, in which the captain, in this case, Willard Batilius Romney, is divided by a transporter malfunction into a good half and a bad half. Um, Our version features a Romney doppelganger that embodies the Southern reactionary buried within every conservative candidate for higher office. Gluttony saves the day. Uh, So don't ask, just listen. Here it comes. Nedrek 18. Captain Fricassee. See you on the other side. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Lee Majors. Last week on Ned Trek, the crew of the Free Enterprise found themselves on an amazing alien world. One rich with valuable minerals and space gold. During a pit stop, Captain Romney got knocked unconscious. When he came to, his memory was gone. But then some Stone Age folks hailed him as the economic high priest of their tribe. Meanwhile, Ned took the Free Enterprise out of orbit and tried to stop a Halliburton mining ship from tearing apart the planet that Romney was lost on. Hoo boy! There were some close calls, and even a few regular characters were dead as tombstones for a while. If you missed it, or if it didn't make sense to you, you still have time to go back and hear it again. That's what I'm gonna do, but not right now, because it's time for an all-new episode. On tap right now, stay tuned! Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess. To seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. I see. So here you are, Captain, sir, taking a foot massage in your suite of cabins. What a civilized idea that is. Maybe you can see fit to send your boys over to sickbay sometime and task them with working some of their colored magic on these pustulated corns of mine. The travails of being the only bipedal doctor on a cruiser-class starship cannot be exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, it seems like nobody wants to be seen by any of the new 12-legged mucolon doctors that I brought on board last week. You know, to replace the old guard of space sawbones. Too bad. They came real cheap. I'm just glad that I've got all of them working on a commission basis. Haven't had to pay them one purple credit. <laughs> Excuse me, Doc. Blimchin Minor? Pay special attention to the toe that went to market. <laughs> Blimchin Major? You can concentrate more on helping that little piggy that had roast beef. And then just leave the one that had none to take responsibility for himself. As it should be. Captain, this is Lieutenant Sulu on the bridge. You wanted to be informed when we reached planet Crackerfry 9. We've just entered into orbit, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Lieutenant. Hey, you know, Doc, I like this arrangement. Mr. Sulu can just continue to relay to me all the plot developments in the episode while I stay here in my suite of cabins. Here I can be free to come up with some great ideas and make the big decisions that affect the lives of all my servants, like the Blimchins over here. I say, but Captain, once you hear the details of why we diverted to Cracker Fry 9, I think that you will reconsider your idleness and decide to assume a more proactive role in this here common adventure. What's the caper, Doc Coburn? Well, you see, sir, Cracker Fry was originally settled back about 75 years ago by a group of God-sharing evangelical types. They did their best to convert and or kill the savage heathens that lived there. 
and then they set out to exploit the planet's valuable resources, all in ways that God intended. Pretty much the same thing that the four preachers did back on Earth so long ago. Willard, this is Ned breaking in. Sorry to interrupt an erroneous space history lesson by an idiot doctor, but what exactly are we doing here? There's virtually nothing of value on this world. It's been mined out, sucked dry, pumped up with every imaginable toxin. There's no people and precious few animals there. It's also subject to a runaway greenhouse effect, and its oceans are as acidic as Blofarian vinegar. I say, I dispute that dark characterization of that most godly world of our Lord. There's no such thing as a greenhouse effect down there, and most certainly not one caused by the righteous carbon burning of God-sanctioned industry. It's just some consecutive days of unseasonably hot weather. That's all. And the good people, those God-abiding crackertons, will be back from vacation any time now. You just mark my words. I wouldn't touch your words with an atomic toilet plunger. Face it, these morons that you have such reverence for transformed a Class M planet into a Class R planet. R for wrecked. All by polluting the crap out of it in a craven play for petrochemical cash. Did you say that they were Mormons? <laughs> Our people surprise even me sometimes with their go-getter attitudes and can-do spirits. Think of that. Mormons in space. <laughs> da 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 Did you say that you had a can of spirits in here? Give it to me. I'll put it in a safe place. I'm building a reservoir. <laughs> Why, Mr. Nixon, what are you doing there beneath my god-sized bed? I say... After he was pried out of the Halliburton mining ship's ion collector, after our last amazing episode, he hasn't been functioning properly. Even so, we didn't want him to feel the shame of collecting charity, so instead of footing the bill for expensive repairs, we thought it best to employ him as the ship's vacuum cleaner. It was actually on his resume, somebody said. That was all a misunderstanding. I just said that I could rumba. Not that I was a rumba. I can do the Charleston, too. Just you watch. Charleston, Charleston. <laughs> you go ahead, sir. That might be just the way to get those dust bunnies out of there. Hey, this is Lieutenant Commander Pearl cutting in here. Oh, great. I like it better when you cut out Pearl. I've taken it upon myself to read the script and familiarize myself with our mission for this episode. It seems that we are here at Planet Cracker Fry 9 in order to retrieve some drilling equipment and a bunch of cases of Bibles. It would appear that the Crackertons require these things on the new world that the Confederation just found for them in the Rumpeltoid system. We were volunteered to ferry this stuff over by Rear Admiral McConnell, who maintained that our crew was best suited for a mission fraught with deadly hazards as this one is. Wow, he really has faith in us. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, we do have the best suits in the fleet. <laughs> they are most colorful. Mine is sour apple green. You fool, Pearl. This is no honor. He's still trying to get back at us for what happened on Palaminius 12. We got him busted down to Rear Admiral, and apparently for him, revenge is a dish best served hot. Hot like toxic magma. <laughs> well, that's a shame about his busted rear. <laughs> I think I've got some of my Mormon butt epoxy on board. 
he's more than welcome to use some, just as long as he thoroughly washes off the applicator. Anyhow, it sounds like we'll need to put together a landing party. A group of courageous and old-fashioned manly men that can go down to the planet and find all that stuff that Mr. Pearl was talking about. Does that sound like a plan, Mr. Ned? I suppose so, Willard. <sighs> Pearl, go rustle up a couple of red-shirted flunkies and get yourselves down there right away. You heard the captain. Double time! But Ned, Starfleet's command specifically implied that we should only use expendable officers to carry out this deadly mission. I mean, the surface of that planet is literally like a frying pan. I mean, eggs would be cooked immediately if we beamed them down there. Then if somebody didn't come and eat them in a hurry, they'd, they'd burn, and they'd be fit only for an enlisted man's breakfast. Let me amend that order. Go have your last breakfast first, and then get your useless chicken hog ass down to that hell pit, Mr. Expendable. Say no more. I'll lead this away mission myself. As I've always said, I'm about the most dependable member of my crew. I'll take Mr. Stephanie G with me. He can bring his saxophone. And let's see. Hmm. Someone else with a sprightly and gay attitude. How about Mr. Sulu? Security keeps informing me that he's completely gay all the time. <laughs> Mr. Ned, have them all assembled in the transporter room at zero four thousand hours. That is, if assembly is required. <laughs> um, sir, there's no such time as zero four thousand hours. Oh, good. Well, then I don't need a new wristwatch after all. <laughs> I guess just meet me down there in about 15 minutes. I have to first find my afternoon strolling pants and my Rolex. Ned, do you think we should tell him that that this is a, 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 a death mission? What do you think? Besides, that's probably the only kind of mission that Willard's truly qualified to carry out. I can actually hear you guys, you know. Hey, you know, this place isn't so bad. Stephanie G, never mind the saxophone. Did you bring my golf clubs? I think we just may be in time to enter what appears to be a tournament. I think that must be Jack Nicholson standing over there. <laughs> yes, it's confirmed. He's waving back at me. Hey, <laughs> Jack. He also appears to be urinating into the pro shop. <laughs> Those golf pros. Captain, excuse me, sir, but I think you're just looking at a barrage. The heat waves coming off the parched desert flats are pretty intense. So that's the mirage. You know, Bane almost acquired that casino. I think that it has the biggest golf course in the galaxy. It must. Just look at the size of that sand trap. Captain, it's 115 degrees down here. The atmosphere is thick with sulfides. We won't last more than a few minutes. I recommend that we find the drilling equipment as quickly as possible. And then get out of here. <laughs> Don't forget the Bibles. <laughs> we can't leave without recovering the carefully transcribed words of God. Take it from me. He gets awfully sore when you misplace his handiwork. I think that's why my chosen people drew Utah. <laughs> Captain, I found something. Piotr, ah! are you all right? Looks like he's hurt pretty bad, sir. 
I think that we'll need to get him up to sick bay and soon. Oh, wait a minute. Dr. Colbert is on duty, isn't he? Maybe it doesn't matter so much then. <laughs> well, look at that. He found the crate of Bibles. He fractured his head right on top of those blessed things. Captain, the crate says that those Bibles are packed in flame-resistant Krakenite. We can't beam those up to the ship. Krakenite is an unstable element. It would wreak havoc with the transporter circuits. We may have to use a shuttlecraft to get it on board, sir. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Sulu. Of all things holy, the words of Almighty God are the safest traveling companions a man can have, and surely the most stabilizing thing in creation, with the possible exception of certain precious gems. I'll beam back with this holy load myself. You and Mr. Stephanie continue the search for the drilling equipment. Just give us the signal when you're ready to beam them back up to the ship. Sir, but Mr. Stephanie is in no condition to search for anything. He's going to need immediate medical attention just to stay alive. Then make sure he stays at attention. <laughs> you might try a regimen of military calisthenics, or you can subject him to frequent inspections. That'll keep him on his toes. Or perhaps you can use this little alien dog to keep him awake. <laughs> Stephanie can be tasked with keeping its ridiculous prosthetic horn and plastic antenna from falling off. I know that our makeup people couldn't manage that. Anyhow, good luck with that and with the mission, Lieutenant. <laughs> um, thanks, sir. Sweet Jesus. Yes, Jesus increasingly appears to be the reason for the season of the show. Romney to free enterprise. Mr. Sulu, is that you? No, sir. I'm not on the ship. Unfortunately, I'm standing behind you, here on this molten planet, baking along with a critically wounded stunt double. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, that reminds me. We should bean down some strips of bacon for the officer's brunch meal. You wouldn't mind turning them over once in a while. Of course you wouldn't. Romney to free enterprise. Willer, what? Are you still alive? I most certainly am. And I'm ready to beam back onto the ship. Also, please beam up this two-ton crate of Bibles, as well as the weird unstable elements used to pack them. I heard that, Captain. Prepare for transit. What's this thing acting finicky about this time? I've never heard it make that sound effect before. Captain, are you okay? I'm not sure what the matter is with the transporter. We just barely got you on board. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm fine, Mr. Welsh. <laughs> it's Mr. Stephanie that I'm concerned about. <laughs> you know, it seems like he should be allowed to qualify for <coughs> some kind of health care. <laughs> Perhaps the whole crew should be eligible for some kind of, I don't know, mandated plan which funnels them all into the compassionate hands of private insurance companies? Captain, you don't sound well. Let me help you down to sickbay so one of the twelve-legged mucolid doctors can crawl all over you and determine what's wrong. If it's all the same, I prefer using Dr. Colbert. <laughs> he doesn't employ nearly as much purple mucus in his diagnostic procedures. Oh, and Welsh, don't leave the transporter room unattended. Although on second thought, 
You better or else I fear the show will be cut drastically short this week. I have been so blind, so blind, being captain of this here free enterprise could open me up to some exhilarating possibilities, and some that I venture to say will swell my own personal fortune and that of my most exalted clan. But first, I need sustenance in order to revitalize my inner man. I do declare I will mosey on over to sickbay, which as luck would have it, is the set that lies catacorner to this one. Cheesy grits! I say, well there you are, Captain Sir. Why up top they were all convinced that we'd never see you again in this mortal sphere. I'm proud to say that I was the one tapped to scratch out a few words of remembrance for a little service to be held in the addicted too. All in your honor, I might add. I guess the planners weren't expecting much of a crowd. I declare. Just give me those cheesy grits. I say, sir, this isn't the mess hall, you know. Though I admit it could use some tidying. Here, I'll get the food synthesizer to play a little Dixie, while one of my nimble technicians gets the griddle going. Orderly blow blow. Boy, prepare the captain a double order of double cheesy grits. And I mean now, I'm the double. And let your grease hand do some generous pouring. I must say, Captain, I find your most recent tyrannical cravings to be the most refreshing turn of events. Out of my way, I've got some serious mastications to instigate, and I reckon that I would prefer for that to take place out in the corridor. I won't say goodbye. I say, I never realized what a powerful and decisive piece of Christian manhood our Captain is. Captain! Oh, hi there, sir. I thought that you'd be dead by now. Instead, you seem to be very much alive and eating unhealthy fried foods. There is some irony for you. Aha! I was actually just trying to get my dress uniform on. I was chosen to represent the bridge crew at your funeral service, which is being held in the Eddington tube. There will be standing room only, I was told. Address? You have the audacity to tell me to my face that you're about to assume the very attire of a sexual deviant aboard my ship? My ship? No, sir. I mean, this is a man dress that we're talking about. One that is approved by and is in fact issued by God-waving misogynists at Starfleet's command. You must have one too, sir. Why, of course you do. Excuse me, sir, but are those cheesy grits that you're eating? Why, yes. And don't tell me that you want some. There was only enough prepared for me. No, it's not that. I just always thought that you were pretending to enjoy that kind of f- food. 
in order to dupe horrible southern ignoramuses into thinking that you were one of them so that they'd vote for you. They'd be made to believe that you shared their taste in battered deep-fried cardboard, and so, ergo, you also shared their homophobic, gun-clutching, god-touting belief system. It's a classic electoral foolie. Let's stop pretending, Mr. Pearl. Let's stop pretending. Hey, you actually swallowed that time. You really are eating that stuff. You've been on board this battered, anti-battered pimple of a ship for how long now? A year? A year and one half? And where has it gotten you, Pearl? How many wars has it let you instigate? How close are you to getting this solid, gold, glistening, gleaming, golden planet named after y'all? Well, if I could be allowed to answer that last question first, a little bit closer, I now have enough gold to make a 750-pound asteroid. And from what I understand about astrophysics, if my gold asteroid impacts against, say, an Earth-sized planet, it could cause some considerable damage, enough so that I could use it to make credible threats and perhaps elicit payments in the form of bribes and protection money. It's a proven way to amass even more gold. What are these? Seems to be some plans here about lying up on spread out on your desk here. I would have to see that these here draft proposals for a war against the Zimtai Alliance seem plenty feasible. And furthermore, I'd have to say that it is elegant in its simplicity. Do you reckon so, sir? Or, I mean, do you really think so? I, I had almost given up on that sweet idea of mine. The Confederation had no stomach for it. They thought they'd lose too many ships. But, I mean, you can't make golden omelets without breaking a few million cantaloupes. And anyhow, nobody reaping the rewards are going to be on board any of those battleships when they blow, so who cares? My advice for you is to keep those plans in the air. I predict that we here are going to be doing a spell of instigating. Some money making. And I'm talking real soon, boy, do you hear me? Oh my goodness, I hear you loud and clear, Captain, sir. Wow, did you ever wake up on the right side of the space bed this morning? I endeavor to always be on the right side of whatsoever side there is. Oh, Captain, you've got some crud stuck on the side of your, um, face. It's probably some aerosol cheese from those grits things. Oh, well, I don't think he heard me. <laughs> Captain, see here this poor wee little doggy with a prosthetic horn and what looks like antenna glued onto his head. We successfully beamed him up from the planet's surface. But then a few minutes later, this other creature appeared on the transporter platform. Well, I see. That's one smart-looking smell, huh? Maybe they've got some kind of promotional thing going on down there on that planet. For every animal specimen sold and beamed up, you get yourself a free hound dog. Captain, we dared beam up Mr. Sulu and Stephanie, not without risking getting a couple more hound dogs like this one. Those men will just have to tough it out down there until we could figure this thing out, or at least until we rig up some kind of kennel. In the meantime, what should we do with this animal? <laughs> That's funny. I can't seem to make up my mind what to do. I'm sure not very decisive just lately. You could, um, send him back to Planet Cracker Fry. Hey, maybe there's a boy stuck in a well down there. I see. The temperature down there is hot enough to broil a country ham. I think we'd make poor use out of a serviceable smell hound. I mean, we could always put him in a uniform, 
and then use them to track down runaway riding slave dudes. Of course, of course. I know. Just tie him up on the roof, Mr. Welsh. You know, I'm not sure why I forgot about that inhumane option. It's almost as if I'm losing the ability to command. Oh well, I think I'll go have some kale or some creme cheese. See you men on the brudge. I, or, I mean the bridge. You know, I'm not sure why I mispronounced that right now. <laughs> Captain Willard, I just received a bizarre report about you from the doctor. He said that you barged into sick bay and acted like a complete troglodyte, demanding a super large order of cheesy grits and even manhandling a doctor's person. Apparently, he was highly impressed with your forcefulness and newfound manitude. His words, of course. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I don't remember that happening. And I don't think that I really like cheesy grits. That is, when I'm not running for anything. You know, I just saw the doctor in the last scene. He didn't say anything to me regarding my antisocial pro-family behavior. It's probably just the editing. I think the transporter room scene with those stupid dogs was originally supposed to be cut in somewhere else. Face it, nobody cares. Hi, Captain. Sir, I made a copy of my strategy for taking down the Zimtod Alliance on this rectangular yellow piece of plastic. It took a while, but I finally managed to melt a thumb drive onto it. I sweetened the plan a little bit. Since you looked at it earlier, I packed it with a few more contracts to Bain Galactic and to my own military consulting firm. All of the necessary PR for selling the war is also embedded in the software, so we wouldn't even need to do any subspace interviews or anything. They're all part of the package. We can just sit back and get ready to watch the usual stock footage of precision munitions doing their thing and count money and stuff. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, are you sure that it was me that agreed to this? I don't think that I've even seen you since I beamed back from Cracker Fry. Well, it was you, sir. Although you were spicing up your conversation with colorful asides of a kind usually attributed to inhabitants of the rural south in the United States back on Earth. Come to think of it, you were also eating some kind of southern specialty dish. That's right. It was cheesy grits. They look pretty disgusting, sir. Hey, Pearl's story seems to jibe with the doctors. Willard, what exactly are you playing at? Are you practicing pandering to the south as a prerequisite to running for president again? You took one of those glowing Cletus drugs again, didn't you? Didn't you? Certainly not, Mr. Ned. I would never rely on a banned artificial southern enhancement drug. Scout's honor. I tell you that it wasn't me who approved Mr. Pearl's auspicious war plans or, or ate the doctor's grits. There must be an imposter on board. I mean, an imposter. That's the only answer. Now who the hell would ever want to impersonate you? Besides Tim Palenti, that is. Gee, Captain... I had got my hopes up about starting that war. You just had to push the fatty into the canopian stigma, didn't you? Didn't you? Humiliating me, and doing it all the while you were talking like a real southern he-man, like Rhett Butler, and while slurping down some greasy southern goo. Ugh. Hey, wait a minute. The captain had some of that fried goo on his face. Yeah, I remember. It was on the left side. There really must be an imposter on board. And he can be recognized by crud on his face. 
We need to make a ship-wide announcement to have the entire crew on the lookout for the imposter. Okay, you've convinced me. At least it's a way out of this scene. Captain Romney, Mr. Sulu is calling up from the planet's surface. He appears to be dying down there. But before you take the call, I'd like to share a little piece of wisdom that I've stored in my memory banks. And don't worry, there are legitimate memories of Richard Milhouse Nixon, gleaned from the vast archives of the Nixon Library in whatever town that place is located in. Once I too was faced with the ugly reality of being impersonated. The imposter in this case was a real lowlife type, a crook and a no-good dick. While I was off doing my good works, you know, helping orphans and sick pickaninnies, he rampaged around the White House, hatching plots and conspiracies. He was even misusing the nation's military might, making us appear to lose a war. The son of a bitch swore a blue streak, too. When I found out about that guy, I started trying to record him, you know, in order to collect evidence. In the end, the only way I could get rid of him was to make those tapes public. This meant that I, too, would be forced out of office. But the important thing is that he would also be gone. So in that way, I saved the nation, but only at the cost of my own career and stellar reputation. Nixon, now let's hear the one about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I tell you, I did all I could to help her too, and to get those dorks off of her. I even had Walt on the payroll. You know, that was a compelling and indeed a cautionary tale, Mr. Nixon. <laughs> Thanks. Now, please put me on the intercom. <laughs> Hi, crew. This is your captain speaking. <laughs> I hope that everyone is well and enjoying this sector of interstellar space. If you look out your portside scanners, you will see a very pretty red star. Red is my favorite color, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but there are just so many colors, aren't there? It's nearly impossible to choose which one is best. Well, I get to the point for crying out loud. Oh, yes. True, there's an imposter on board. From what I understand, he's been doing a fair to middling impersonation of yours truly. Just think of it, folks. He might be able to do a whole lot of other impressions, too. You know, like Frank Gorshin. No stranger to these sets. So remember, crew, this imposter is tremendously tall and handsome, but has some apparently irrepressible southern mannerisms and tastes. Perhaps you may see him with a banjo or yelling out commands to a team of field slaves. He may evoke in you a strong desire to vote for him and to otherwise support his candidacy. The imposter might be <laughs> identified by some crud on his face. Let me repeat that. The imposter might be identified by some crud on his face. Let me repeat that. The imposter might... Southern food, Willard. Don't forget to tell them to arm themselves with southern dishes. Oh yes, of course, of course. The imposter should not be harmed. He should be lured in with some southern comfort food. Every man should be sure to arm themselves with some gumbo or some chicken fricassee. Okay, Willard, wrap it up now. I do declare, I am Colonel Romney. I mean to say, I am Captain Romney. That handsome joker on the bridge is a weak. No good lion, good for nothing, foul man. I am Captain Romney. I am Captain Romney. Wait a minute. I just washed some of the incriminating crud off my face. I can apply this here damn piece of white linen. I think I almost got it all. I'll endeavor to take more care when I'm partaking of the traditional repast of our great and prideful people. 
Truman Giles. I declare, come over here and sit with me a spell. Let us pass the time together as a gentleman of the manor might with his trusted groom boy. And so how is your papa? Uh, fine, sir. He's still dead in the graveyard. Now give me that plate of chocolates! Captain's Log, start date March 25th, 2266. Hey, I think I finally have gotten the hang of this thing. No, you're still doing it wrong, Willard. Anyway, Captain's Log, subliminal. We are in orbit around the planet Krakafry 9, a tragic world subject to runaway global warming which would seem to have been caused by the burning of fossil fuels by the humanoids that populate that world. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I couldn't have seen that before. On board the ship, we have recently become aware of an intruder that has been masquerading as Captain of the Free Enterprise, which is pretty much my role. Though just lately, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm really cut out to pretend to handle such a big and important job. You do know that we can all hear you, right, Willard? And besides... You're forgetting all about the men you have on the planet's surface. Mr. Sulu and Stephanie G. Oh yes, oh yes. We need to get them aboard ASAP. They won't be able to survive the daytime high temperatures down there, will they? I don't freaking know. Why don't you ask Sulu? Nixon's had him on hold for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Please put him on the speaker, Mr. Nixon. Aye, sir. Lieutenant Sulu, <laughs> how are you holding up down there? And how is Mr. Stephanie G? Hopefully his saxophone hasn't melted. You're thinking of Kenny G, sir. Oh, yes, of course. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, no, wait, that's Chuck Mangel. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. And is he there as well? It's 135 degrees. We're roasting. Down here, I've been carrying Stephanie around on my back while I continue to look for drilling equipment. Haven't found it. Need to be beamed back to the ship. Stephanie lost most of his blood, losing. Consciousness. Captain, we can't beam them aboard without risking getting two more hound dogs in the bargain. We just have no place to put one hound dog, let alone two, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Sulu. We'll do what we can to correct the problem. Captain, what about shuttlecraft? I'll see what we can do. Take care. Mr. Welsh, we can dedicate a shuttlecraft to a gay officer, can't we? We can change the name of the U.S. Enola Gay to the U.S. Sulu is Gay. You know, even though he was gay, he was a good, dependable officer, and one that was willing to follow orders. <laughs> that is, even when they were pointless, he'd follow them right to their disastrous conclusions. Indeed, he was a great gay man. He's not dead yet, Willard. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is still the flagship of the Confederation, isn't it? How could we possibly name one of our shuttles for an uncloseted deviant? Our society doesn't allow them to marry each other or teach school or lead space scouts 
or do anything, do we? Their lack of rights is even written into the Confederation Charter. I think there must be something wrong with the captain's pandering bone or whatever. He just hasn't been right. Hey, ever since he returned from Planet Crackerfry 9. Ned, you don't suppose that this Captain Romney is the imposter and the other one with a crud on his face is the real McCoy, do you? Pearl, I live by a simple code. It goes pretty much that anything you think or say is definitely wrong. No horse or man, for that matter, could stray far from the right path. They simply do the opposite of whatever you advise. Willard, Crewman Childs just reported that the imposter attacked him, but first called him by name and took his plate of succotash. Did he have that crud on his face? We've got to find him, Willard. He's no ordinary imposter. He's trained. Maybe possibly even an android. I don't know. I have to think deeply about this one. Whatever is Mr. Ned doing? He looks like he's asleep or in a daze. I can answer this one. In my spare time, I've apparently read up on this and a lot of other stuff relating to Pelomino lore and horse mysticism. He's gone into a deep Pelomino mind trance. The technique is to immerse oneself in a mind paddock surrounded by imagined split rail fences. Each rail represents a real fact which is connected to the problem that needs to be solved. Ned will contemplate each rail and try to make an answer bridge out of them. When he's finished, then he can mentally trot over that bridge. Then the problem will be solved. By the time he comes out of the trance, he's likely to have a working theory about what's happening around here. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. I often wondered what Ned was working on when he wasn't talking. Frankly, that's not something I ever needed to consider with any of our other horses. Well, look at that. He's waking up already. What are y'all looking to be for? I just dozed off for a minute. Well, anyhow, I've got myself a working theory, and we need to put it to the test. I think that the imposter is hiding. Willard, tell me, where would you go to evade a mass search? That's easy. I'd go to France. It works to avoid becoming cannon fodder, too. Funny thing, you know, some of their revolting revolutionary French ideas don't seem all that revolting to me anymore. I may even want to try some of the garçons non-aerosol cheese after all. Pearl, what's the Frenchest part of the ship? I don't know. Gee, that's a hard one. How about the kitchen? I made myself some freedom toast in there this morning. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, okay. I also ate three sticks of butter, okay? Of course, the kitchen. That'd fit my theory about the origin of this imposter. And if he really is camped out in the kitchen, then catching him should be Colt's play. You mean child's play, right? Get moving, Pearl. Do you really need me to go down there? I mean, there are all kinds of pointed utensils and stuff up there. And, and things like laser garlic presses. I could just imagine what desperate men would do with one of those. Think of it this way. Would you rather have him use it on you or me? Very well, then. But sometimes I wish our service wasn't so dependent on threats of bodily harm. It's gotta be in here somewhere. Pearl, go check around Doc Bigoto's vats of piccalilli. 
Willard, you take the paw-paw pantry. I'll canter through the Cajun Spice Loft. Shoot once in the air if you see something. What are we supposed to shoot with? I didn't bring a phaser or anything. You what? I didn't know we were supposed to. Well, of course. I don't have one. Willard, I won't even ask if you're armed. <laughs> you know, just lately I haven't even felt the need to pick up my vermin gun. I'm not even sure why I had my man purchase it in the first place. I might have him traded in for another yachting cap. Oh, just yell, he's over here if you see him. Jesus. Imposter man. Imposter man. Where are you? Please don't try to jump out and try to surprise me. I'd rather not have to change these space pants again. Imposter man. <laughs> Gosh, there sure is a lot of rhubarb stacked in that cooler. I guess that it would spoil otherwise. Rhubarb is like a form of genetically engineered celery, isn't it? That's what happens when Monsanto goes south. <laughs> now what's with that one? Wow, that piece is just so unlike celery. It looks more like a, like a person's leg. Hey, it is a leg. It's my leg. <laughs> I don't remember my leg coming off. Wait a minute. I still have both my legs. There's only one explanation. There must be a mirror hidden in amongst the rhubarb stalks. I'll just move some of these stalks aside and... Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, what do you know? It's a very fat three-dimensional reflection of me! I do declare... You, sir, have made a great mistake in discovering my place of concealment. Wow, I don't remember my reflection getting surly before. Maybe it's just one of my son's reflections. Craig? <laughs> now you come out of there and you tell your pa what this is all about. Craig, put down that plate of space fritters this instant and come out of there. <laughs> I'm completely serious. The question is, just who is the imposter here, sir? Why, I and just about everybody will not fail to realize that it is you! Hey, you've gotten greasy crud on my face. I can think of one young Mormon man that won't be allowed to attend the masturbation intervention camp this weekend. What the? Captain! And, and fatter, Captain! Oh my god, there are two of you! But which one is the real Captain? There's just no way to tell, since they both have crud on their faces. One of them is as big as a house, numbskull. I think that we can safely say that he's the imposter. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that you can't see Blubber. That explains your own condition, all right. Well, that shows pretty poor planning, then, by whoever hired the imposter. He must have been in a hurry or something. Or they used our show's casting director. So anyway, Ned, which one do we shoot in the back? Let's let the captain decide. I do declare... Mr. Ned, sir, you are one ungrateful, stubborn, and useless animal. I continue. You are stupid and lazy and unworthy of being the featured steed in our prize stables. Wow, Ned, he knows all about you. I do declare. Ned, you just look at the crud on his face and see how he's trying to wipe it off. Why, that fraudulent doppelganger is hoodwinked you into thinking that he's Captain Romney. Well, I most certainly can see the difference between us, and I'm not afraid to shoot him down like a mad salivating dog. 
What? You're going to shoot him with a stock of rhubarb? I declare. I... Oh, my God, Ned. You knocked him out cold with a palomino head kick. Well, I'll be. He's like a fat southern version of yours truly. What an interesting concept. Careful with him, men. Someday he may be a useful surrogate for campaigning in the south. Pearl, carry him to sick bay. Me carry him? You're the beast of burden. Can't we just hoist him up onto your back? Give it a try, Pearl, and you'll be in traction in the bed right beside him. You know, I never knew that horses could be so volatile before I met this one. I guess that explains why they were replaced when the motor car came along. And yes, of course I know they were briefly resorted to again during the time of darkness and light, known as the Endarkenment Period. Democracy and pluralistic society collapsed. Science lost and God won. But then before you knew it, we were all pretending to glide around in hover wagons. And that led directly to us pretending to be in outer space. Okay, okay. Put the lardo on my back. Anything if it would speed up this process. I see, I see. He's dying, Captain. Or in a way, you could say that he's a dying captain. I see it's amazing the things that a comma can do in a sentence. It can rearrange the fate of men. And that's why God himself provided us with the English language that is capable of articulating the narrowest path on a conversant journey, while all at the same time confounding those enemies that insist on sticking out on altogether different tongue. You might try some first aid on him, doctor. I think that there are a few medical kits around this place, probably being used to prop up a liquor still or something. Using devilish medical know-how is not going to change what the Lord himself ordains. This man is past the ethereal wheat fields and is headed for the bodacious and bejeweled gates of his eternity. Ned, isn't it high time that you tell us your theory about the origins of the imposture? I mean, initially he looked just like the captain, but then sort of morphed into a fat southern sheriff, kind of a Bull Connor type. You know, we may just want to keep him on hand, in case we ever need to subdue a planet of freedom riders. It has to do with the transporter room, and when Captain Willard first beamed up with that case of Bibles. Apparently, Crackerite, which is a heat-resistant, unstable element that the Bibles were packed in, caused the transporter scanner to incorrectly calculate the mass of the objects being beamed. Since there wasn't an actual second person to lock onto, the transporter circuits duplicated Willard's readings, and in effect, multiplied them by two, borrowing surplus molecules from whatever was handy, and using them to complete the pattern. But then why is one of them Southern? Apparently it was a Southerner that originally packed the case of Bibles, and when they did it, they left some of their DNA in the box, probably a tooth or some kind of slobber. That's all it would take. You might say, he's the spitting image of the captain. Oh! <laughs> you know, I could really go in for some parasailing today. What are the conditions off the Cape today? Evidently, it also sucked off the veneer of southern values that the captain had imposed on his own persona back during the election. This is fascinating. We have here a unique opportunity to examine what a conservative politician would be like when you take away all of his put-on southern sensibilities. He becomes indecisive, soft and quasi-liberal even. 
Ironically, he loses the ability to win office even in a northern state. Alliances with oil corporations, pharmaceutical companies, gun manufacturers, the financial industry, they all begin to elude him. I see. All your horse yakking makes me think that we're saving the wrong captain here. It's just a shame that there's nothing to be done for the big Colonel Captain Romney fella. Yes, the imposter does have some interesting qualities. He was as keen as Cajun mustard regarding my war plans. I think I could have done very well with him in the big chair. No offense, real captain. I'm sure that there'll still be something in it for me with you giving the orders, though not as much. Don't worry, I still intend on remaining a loyal member of your crew. At least until something better turns up. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Pearl. I knew that I could count on you. Captain Romney, Mr. Zulu is calling from the planet. Should I patch you in? Ah, how thoughtful. Yes, Mr. Nixon, pipe it down here. Hopefully this is going to be good news. Mr. Sulu, how's everything? Sulu here. Not good, Captain. Temperature now. 154 degrees. Found drilling equipment. Most is melted. Is transporter repaired? <laughs> no, I think that I would have heard if it was. From what I understand, Mr. Welsh was supposed to get around to working on it sometime this afternoon, just after his coffee break. After he finishes fixing the door in my closet, it, it has a really annoying little squeak. I thought I had a Sloborian weevil rat in there for ages, but it was just a stupid door. What about shuttle craft. Good news on that front. I've decided to name one of the shuttles in your honor. If you survive this ordeal, maybe someday you can drive around in a shuttle craft called the Sulu's Gay. Gay. Last. Much longer. Tell Mr. Pearl. I hate him. I say, look at here, Captain. Turns out that this here doppelganger of yours isn't quite dead. He says that he wants to have a confidential word with you before he meets his maker. Being so that he is a man of property and a gentleman, I think that you should honor the request from he who is so soon to be departed. Do you need to go to a special school or something to talk that way? Okay, let's go back to the bridge while the captain and the fat captain... Share some last recipe ideas. Jesus, this stupid show is so freaking long. I do declare. Come on over closer so I can whisper something to you. I fear that my life strength is ebbing away. Sure. Part of being the captain is to provide some manly comfort to the men who were horribly maimed all in the course of following my orders. <laughs> Fortunately, there will be no embarrassing touching during this procedure. All I usually need to do is pull a look of concern, which Anne once told me is kind of like my I hate to lose face, crossed with my oops, I wish I hadn't said that face. During our last battle with the Obomulans, I really had gotten it down. Come closer. Come closer. 
I honestly think that I'm about as close to you as I can get without automatically triggering a call to one of the Mormon masturbation intervention teams. Hey, that was my favorite karate move. Ouch! do declare thou hit him out of the way. I can finally kick my rightful place as captain is yep. My task will be to utterly destroy the North Star. Then I will proceed to lay waste to the entire northern quadrant of this galaxy. But first I will partake of some succotash, some pimento cheese, some buttermilk biscuits, some country ham with red-eyed gravy, some turnip greens fried diced onions and laid upon a slab of fat back. I haven't even started on contemplating the barbecue delicacies yet. I will now undertake the designing of such a list, a list like you wouldn't believe. Where the hell is the captain anyway? I know that he's having problems making decisions and all, but he must know that he has to at least make an appearance on the bridge once in a while. Mr. Ned, the turbo lift to the bridge keeps breaking down. Apparently the captain's been trying to get up here for the last half hour. Must be sabotage. A similar thing happened to me once during my historic visit to China. Kissinger blocked up the aisle of Air Force One with a pickle barrel. He wanted to delay me getting off the plane, also that he could be seen as the first one on the tarmac and become the person accredited with the most important diplomatic breakthrough of the century, maybe of all time. If he managed, it would have been his picture plastered all over the history books and in the news magazines of the day. Fortunately, I had the foresight to arrange for one of my Cuban exile stewards to escort him off the wrong side of the plane. There, I understand, he met the welcoming embrace of five surly Chinese sanitation workers. They'd just been forced to clean up 3,000 gallons of sewage that had just somehow mistakenly been jettisoned from our plane. They were more than happy to present Henry to Chairman Mao, but first he was obligated to meet face-to-face with Mr. Don. I don't understand it. Those lifts were all working perfectly. What could have happened to them? Well, the only thing I'm surprised at is the fact that you could still be surprised by something not working on board this space bucket. Just have the captain beamed up to the bridge. We've got to wrap this episode up soon. For us, we'll be bleeding onto the Andy Williams show's time slot. And from what I understand, that's one guy that you don't want to get blood on. He always wears those light-colored suits. We're doing it, Mr. Ned. We're beaming him up now. Wait! I don't understand it. Oh, Jesus! The mass reading is off the scale. He must be trying to bring a herd of Angus cattle with him. Oh no, you don't suppose he's, he's going to be covered in hound dogs, do you? I do declare, what are you men all staring at? Haven't you ever seen a body materialize in front of you before? Oh my god, Mr. Ned. The captain's as fat as a Blomethian blubber bear. What could have happened to him? Do you think that he may have caught some futuristic space disease? The good thing about those is that even though they are always fatal, 
They can also be reliably counteracted by some experimental serum that's developed by the end of the episode. And it's even guaranteed that the person will be transformed as if by magic to his pre-diseased state. There's never any scar tissue or anything, which is great because I hate scars. Mr. Pearl, I do declare, you have an overactive tongue in your mouth, sir. I will have it out. If you do not quiet yourself at once, now I require the services of my confederate warhorse. I'm never going to battle without being at the stern of my ship while straddling an animal and overbreed. I will mount you, sir, and then the enemy will be engaged. I say, that sounds disturbingly homoerotic. I don't think that such words are allowed on God's bridge. No man may be allowed to mount a beast. That is to say, unless he's within the confines of his own barnyard. He certainly cannot ever become engaged to one. I recall now that the good book says, to beware of an obese leader that may assume thy father's tongue and fool thyself into errands of a devilish character. Mount me, you've got to be kidding. It's a miracle that you haven't broken through the floor yet by yourself. If you get on top of me, not only will I become a horse-shaped pancake, but the whole crew pulling on one rope couldn't haul you back onto your feet again. I declare, I will eat you men despite yourselves, and despite this hour of doubt. Now come hither, noble steel! Oh my god, again! The fat captain just broke through the soundstage floor. He's come down hard onto the set of Mission Impossible. I think he just killed Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Unfortunately, that won't be good enough. As long as they still have Peter Graves, they're likely to continue to produce boring episodes of that show. Welsh, get some jumbo-sized anti-grabs on him and put him back up here with a rope. He'll be your balloon for a while, just until we figure out what to do with him. I, sir, I'm on it. I always wanted to do a cameo on Mission Impossible. Yeah, when you work on this show, your life goals tend to be pretty low. Greetings, all. Wow, what a whopping great hole in the floor. Was that an industrial accident? You know, it seems to me that we may want to revisit the idea of instituting some kind of regime of inspections. Perhaps we might even draft a few regulations. Nothing too onerous, of course. Just common sense stuff. I say it's heresy! Communist on its face! Somebody get the fat captain back up here fast! I don't care if he sometimes feels the need to mount beasts while in our presence! Here he comes, gentlemen! Make way! Oh! Well, that's just grotesque! Quick, get Billy Moomy on the line! He needs to send it to the cornfield! Or perhaps to the junk planet! Gee, Mr. Welsh, I must say that I'm flattered. Had you planned to enter this Romney balloon into the Macy's Galactic Space Parade? It can travel right behind the Space Governor Christie Blimp. That's not a balloon, Willard. That's your bloated southern doppelganger. He was trying to take over the ship. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, can I borrow your handkerchief? I seem to have some crud on my face. I do declare. That imposter cannot give an order on this ship. This is my ship. I'm the colonel of this air free enterprise. I mean to say that I am the captain of this air free enterprise. See how that Yankee is trying to fool you? 
even spread some harmony on his face. But I do declare, it looks so delicious, more delicious than any dream of flavor I've ever known. Pearl, well scrambled, before he wipes those morsels off his face and deprive me of my God-given right. Mr. Pearl, you better lend me your shirt, too. <laughs> there sure is a lot of stuff on me. Mr. Ned, what do we do? Whose orders do we follow? It goes against my better judgment and my survival instinct, but let's let Captain Willer decide. And I mean the one that isn't the size of a whale. I declare, I am Captain Ramney. I will be obligated to horn whip you, boy. Thanks, Ned. Actually, I wouldn't mind following Big Fat Colonel Mee's commands, even though I don't totally agree with him on many of the issues of the day. But hey, I'd be willing to keep my beliefs under my hat, all in the interest of getting on with the lucrative business of our confederation. I do declare, you have interrupted me for the last time. I will have satisfaction. I challenge you to a duel. Captain, or I mean captains, Mr. Sulu is calling us from the planet's surface. Do either of you want to take this? Sure, Mr. Nixon. Put him on the speaker. Simply here. Now, 225 degrees in the shade. Can't hold out much longer. Stephanie is smoking. Must be up. I declare, enlisted men are not allowed to smoke unless they have the written consent of their commanders. I will have satisfaction. We must beam down to the planet's service at once and commence this duel of honor. Are you kidding? Not only will the transporter duplicate both of you, but you'll also be fricasseed like so many copian handballs. That sounds delicious. Mm. We must leave at once before the indigenous hound dogs sniff out those balls. <laughs> well, I guess that's settled then. Mr. Welsh, beam me and superfat me down to the planet's surface. Am I to assume that you want me to do it from the bridge again, sir? What? Did they take the transporter room set apart today without telling us? Why exactly aren't we using it anymore? Oh, never mind. Just beam them down from here, Welsh. What do I care? Captain, is the transporter working again? Why did you beam down? <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I think I was going to shoot myself. Hey, <laughs> oh well. Uh, oh well, do you have all of your gear together, Mr. Silo? Um, everything has been pretty much burned away or melted, sir. Including Mr. Stephanie G. It's over 250 degrees now. I'm only alive because I apparently still had the script to shield me. <laughs> Thank goodness for scripts, Lieutenant. Mr. Welsh? Aye, Captain. Two to beam up. But sir, the transporter room is not working right. We haven't got all the hound dogs out of it yet. Beam us up anyhow, Welsh. 
I'm reveling in my restored decisiveness. Well, everything's back as it should be. I'm in command and feeling good about myself. The fat southern me has been returned to my political subconscious. <laughs> or to whatever part of me he originated from. I see, I see. It's hard for a body to believe that our captain harbors inside him a 850-pound southern plutocrat. I mean, what a hidden talent he has. Now that doppelganger had some real fine ideas, tastes, and sensibilities. Doesn't surprise me that you liked him, Coburn. A gluttonous, racist, obese farce of a man. What's not to like? So how exactly did the captains become reunited anyhow, Ned? I thought that if he used the transporter, we would have ended up with another gross of captains and maybe even a few hound dogs. Well, it all has to do with Hodgkin's law of predictable plot developments. By the end of the show, all problems, including technical ones, must be resolved. Oh, yeah, that again. By delaying the captain's beam out until the last few minutes of the show, the transporter relays were predisposed to put everything back to the start position. It's like someone hit a big reset button. No one should be too surprised. It happens every week. So what you're saying is that it doesn't really matter what we do or say in any episode. By the end, we'll all be back in our assigned bridge chairs, talking amongst ourselves in a light-hearted way, and perhaps gleaning some moral out of the experience that we all just pretended to have. That's about the size of it. Pretty pathetic, really. Yes, the imposter is back where he belongs. Just ready to be drawn on when I need to appeal to a certain class of Dixieites. Mr. Sulu, take us out of orbit and on to our next assignment. Sulu is still in the sick bay, receiving skin grafts withered. Oh, wait a minute. If Coburn's assigned the treatment then that means he's probably just covered with leeches. <laughs> Very good, then. Mr. Nixon, take us out. Aye, aye, sir. On we go. splinters already well wasn't that a little bit of fun i thought so just adjusting my levels here thanks for listening thanks for joining us my friends yes here we are another episode of this is big green and this is uh put the phone down except i don't have anyone to talk to no matt matt's not here he's watching falcons (laughs) damn him Damn him all to hell. 
Anyway, uh, I was going to play some musical selections for you this time. Not live. I'll spare you that. <laughs> anyway, um, I have a theme. It's live recordings. And by live recordings, I mean both in front of an audience and not so much. So back in the day, I'm talking back in the early 90s, um, we didn't have a multi-track studio like we do now. Um, so uh, when we would do demo recordings, we typically would do them straight, either straight to stereo or we would um, use a uh, like a cassette multi-track machine that was essentially, you know, playing things live um, onto two of the tracks. Um, we used various different tape decks in those days. Uh, we finally uh, got our hands on a DAT machine and started doing some halfway decent recordings, but they were uh, they were all for demo purposes. We also recorded some of our performances. A lot of the performances are are uh, pretty poorly recorded, um, just because of the mostly because of the time period we were doing it in. We didn't really have a sophisticated PA, and we didn't have um, um, off the board recording. Some of the recordings were ambient. So in our um, live performance period. Uh, back when Big Green was playing clubs and colleges and that sort of thing. Um, we had a rotation of guitar players over the years. We went under various monikers, but uh, our first guitarist, uh, we played some examples of his his playing on the podcast before. His name was Tim Walsh. Um, Tim passed away a few years ago. Um, he was our first guitar player. He was a friend of the family, um, and we... We got together with him and played a number of jobs uh, for a number of years, probably with him longer than anybody, really. Years later, I know we've mentioned uh, Jeremy Shaw. Um, he's on a lot of our recordings and some of the ones that I'll play on this podcast um, are Jeremy. But this first song, uh, How About the War, that we played in a in a club in, um, I think this was a club on Route 5, just west of Utica. And that club doesn't exist anymore, obviously. It was some hole in the wall. Our guitar player at that time was Tony Butera. Tony Ace Butera, who was a friend of ours. Um, he played with us for a number of years. We played uh, we played in various configurations with him. Um, sometimes we play trio. In this case, we were playing as a four-piece uh, under the name Big Green. And Tony was very talented musician um excellent guitar player uh saxophone player uh good singer very good singer uh just a multi-talented fellow not sure what he's doing these days i haven't seen him in a long time tony if you're listening to me shout out hope all, all is well and this is a good example of the degree to which he would learn our music and he really sort of he would really sort of own it. Um, he plays really well on this track, and even though the, uh, the sound quality is pretty poor. Um, but he really knocks it out of the park. I think he makes it. 
So listen carefully. Sounds a little rough, but this is Big Green um, in probably 1990 or 91 at a bar outside of Utica, New York, upstate New York. This will be Matt on bass and vocals. Um, me on keyboards and vocals, John White on drums, and Tony Ace Butera on the guitar. Here it goes. How about the war? interesting uh, so anyway um, that uh, it was a fair representation of <laughs> what we sounded like live um, here's another one uh, one summer I think it was the summer of 93 we played a uh, outdoor music fest that uh, our guitarist Jeremy Shaw put on in his actually in his backyard um, invited a bunch of people um, set up on a on a stage and we were one of several bands that played that day we recorded a lot of that this is us playing live once again this is Big Green with Jeremy Shaw on guitar 
Uh, my brother Matt on bass. I'm playing keyboards. Matt and I are singing. And uh, John White on drums. Um, this song is called For the Greater Good. This is a song that uh, I wrote back in the 80s um, and that we used to be part of our live set back in the day. And uh, give it a listen. Here it comes. There's something looking up behind your eyes. It sees in the perfect stock barking. that really brings me back brings me back to that day god knows 25 years ago right holy moses that long i think so so moving on um i think in that very same year uh we decided we wanted to do a video demo so um we contracted with uh this guy who uh, we knew his name was angel um he had a digital camera like a high eight camera which at the time was that was the shit and we got him to uh agree to come down to a local rehearsal space which just happened to be about a block away from the utica police station <laughs> um which apparently they were very tolerant of loud music because this was a uh, rehearsal space that I think a lot of hair bands practiced in and that sort of thing. Um, uh, we were doing it as a video demo. Uh, Angel was a little artistic with the <laughs> with the camera work. Um, did a lot of rolling around and 
and sort of um, using every effect that was in the camera. Uh, the camera had obviously a, a kind of a typical of the time uh, effect generator within it. And uh, so there were a lot of like weird transitions and freeze frames and things like that. Uh, it was kind of marginal as a demo, but the um, audio recording quality was not too bad. And so we captured a number of our uh, original songs. We also played a bunch of covers. So um, some of these I've, I've posted on the website actually and on our YouTube channel. Um, the one that we're the one that I'm going to start with is uh, it's called Sensory Man. It's one of Matt's songs, and uh, here it is. If you want to see the video for this, it's on uh, it's on our YouTube channel. Just uh, go to big-green.net and click on the video link on the homepage. Here it is, Sensory Man. Sensory man, watching the dial of the pants of Jesus. 
was Sensory Man, Big Green with Jeremy Shaw on guitar. Here's another selection from that tape. This one's called I Hate Your Face. It's another Matt song. It's a song that we used to play live quite a bit. And here it is. The ashtray just dumped. That was I Hate Your Face by Big Green. Again, if you want to see the video for this song, um, go to big-green.net and look for the video link. And uh, I think this might still be posted on the homepage, but uh, don't quote me. Okay. Um, The following year, after we did this demo, we did another demo. <laughs> this was after uh Jeremy had actually gone off to Berkeley for about a year and he came back for the summer and we got together and we recorded some songs onto uh Dat Deck. Uh 
uh, we got together in his basement and we just uh, went through a few versions of of uh, some of the original songs we were playing at that time. Um, again, this is straight to stereo, uh, just like the uh, the video uh, that I was talking about earlier. So these songs we've actually released under the name um, Live from Neptune. I've played them on the podcast before. The one that I'm going to play first is called Merry Christmas, Jane. It's a song that appeared on um, our first album, 2000 Years to Christmas. Um, that was actually recorded, the album version was recorded after this. This was a song that Matt had written uh, for one of his uh, his Christmas tapes back in the day. Um, I think I think back in the very early 90s, like 1991, so a few years before this was recorded. And then later on we recorded it for 2,000 Years to Christmas. Uh, so here it is. Merry Christmas, Jane. Big Green with Jeremy Shaw on guitar. <laughs> Help you 
Well, there you have it. Okay, so that was Merry Christmas, Jane. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, well, just to wrap this up, um, I think I'm going to take us out with another selection from that recording session. Um, This, I know you folks have heard before, it's called Special Kind of Blood. Um, And it's a song that Matt and I wrote together um, (laughs) as kind of a lark. Uh, we, we were writing a song about, um, the immortal, which was a show that lasted about five minutes in the late sixties. Um, I think it was starring Christopher George, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And, you know, it's a pretty simple song. It starts with a riff that sounds like this. And it goes on from there. So anyway, uh, this again is Big Green with Jeremy Shaw on screaming guitar. And it's called Special Kind of Blood. Here we go. Last day. Got a 
Yes, that was Special Kind of Blood by Big Green. Recorded in 1994 in Jeremy Shaw's basement with an audience of, I don't know, maybe five. Five people who weren't actually playing at the time. I don't know. There were some people filtering in and out. Uh, That particular iteration of Big Green was around for probably... I don't know, like three years. I think we played with Jeremy Shaw a total of three years from beginning to end, though that didn't really involve a lot of club dates. Uh, I can remember one date we did up in uh, Middlebury. We played up at Middlebury College in, I'm going to say, 1992 or 1993. I think it was 93. It was in the winter. It was in the dead of winter. I had this Ford van that uh, was very poorly maintained (laughs) and we sort of threw all of our stuff into it and we drove up from Utica, New York and I made the strange decision of taking Route 8, which kind of winds through the Adirondacks all the way up to um, sort of around uh, Plattsburgh area. Um... I'm probably a little north of where I want to go, but if I remember correctly, Route 8 sort of winds through the Adirondacks, and we were we were taking this uh, somewhat unreliable vehicle. Um, and we went up and we played the gig. We slept on somebody's floor. Um, I drove back the same way for some strange reason. It was freezing cold. It was in the middle of the winter, and it was just bone-chillingly cold. There was no heat in the van. Uh, We were sort of huddled around the heater. Just a little bit of heat. And uh, it was quite a harrowing experience. I have no recording of that. Um, Most of our gigs, um, nobody recorded us. Um, That's why the only real live recordings we have are these live demos that we did, um, either in somebody's basement or, you know, in a practice space someplace. So that's about the size of it. Well, since Matt's not here, I'm afraid I'm going to have to play Time for Us to Go All by Myself. Yes, a frightening prospect, but I will try. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next month with a brand new Ned Trek episode. And some other sort of random music and hopefully some conversation with Matt, who's much more interesting than me. Here we go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. See you next month. Well, that's all we got. 
Thanks for joining us. Big Green is brought to you by, let's see, the Mercer Brothers now, the Koch Brothers now, some other brothers, I don't know, maybe the Sacklers threw us some of their blood money. Who knows? Maybe Jeff Bezos gave us some money. Who knows? God knows. Does God know? Maybe God sent us some money. Who knows? Find out more about us at big-green.net. Follow me on Twitter at Big Green Joe. See you soon.